Let us now speak into the void. Welcome to uh, another special episode of Existential Breakdown. I mean, what am I? What am I saying? They're all very special, but uh, this one in particular, where this is another um, guest episode, um, in which I am joined by a real cool dude uh, from the interwebs, uh, Mister Nick, or you might be known uh, as at Strenuous Orb on Twitter. Um, so, hey, man. Hey, thanks for having me, man. Yeah, no problem. Um, and we're going to be talking about today some Dunkirk. Um, mm. And I think, I think you reached out to me and you're like, hey, you want to talk about it? I was like, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because I, I knew that uh, you were pretty invested in Christopher Nolan as a filmmaker, as am I. So I figured it would be uh, it would be pretty fun to uh, get together and, and talk about this thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I was going to be... I'll probably continue to talk about this in the following weeks just because of my my tendencies, but this will be the, a nice catch-all to kind of just get it all out, really break it down, and as we do on the show. Um, and uh, for those of you also worrying, this will not be over four hours long, I don't think. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Uh, so let's just kind of jump into it. Let me just get um, your overall initial thoughts like you've only seen it once so far right correct so far yeah so far. yeah i'm definitely going uh, this coming weekend to go see it again with some other friends so yeah i think i'm gonna go once again too <laughs> um so yeah okay so i think that kind of gives away both of us but uh we kind of mm-hmm. like it a little bit so what would you think about it uh out the gate come walking out of the theater um i love this movie um i think it's one of Christopher Nolan's best films, uh, which is saying a lot because he has a lot of really good films. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it's one of the most visceral films that I've seen in a really long time. Um, it's really exciting. It's harrowing. It looks and sounds incredible. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's everything that I hoped it would be. And, um, I like it a lot partly because of where it sort of sits in Christopher Nolan's filmography to this point, because, you know, his past few films in particular, you know, something like Interstellar or uh, Inception, Dark Knight Rises, they're very, very busy movies in terms of like plot and, you know, they're very high concept and everything like this. And, um, you know, Dunkirk is very... Um, I guess I would say back to basics for him. Like it's it's pretty straightforward from a plot perspective, um, and I I I kind of I kind of dig that from him. You know, it's it's um it's a move it's a move that I, I definitely enjoyed. Yeah, it's funny. I came I I didn't that's a I didn't even think about it in context with his last few films. Um, really, everything since like Inception or even The Prestige. I can't remember at the moment which one came out first batman uh prestige or batman begins but um batman begins was it for okay um but pretty much ever since prestige he's had incredibly like you said very like things happening over top of each other like on top of like being very bombastic visually 
And Dunkirk definitely feels like maybe one of his most personal movies. Like, it feels so small, but it also feels like one of his biggest movies that he's ever done. Mm-hmm. Um, and I uh, very much, uh, I'm sure, is an ode to um, filming in IMAX and in 70mm. Um, yes. So it obviously looks overwhelming. Like, um, I was very much uh, in line with you. I think it is absolutely one of his best. Um, and... Like I said, he is so funny because like every single movie and I mean, spoilers for the future, uh, we'll probably do an episode where we're talking about all the rest of his movies uh, in some mm-hmm. form or fashion because I I like talking about those movies are real good. Um, yeah, there's a lot to talk about. There. A lot, uh, and it's because even though like even within the the Dark Knight trilogy, which is like his closest linked uh, uh, films that he's ever made. Um, Every single time he sets out to make a movie, it is so wildly different than anything he's done before. Mm-hmm. Even though he has a very distinct style, you you look at a frame of this film, you go, like, "Yeah, that's a Christopher Nolan movie." Um, and uh, this one, though, it just like when back way back when when they announced that he was going to do a historical uh, picture, I was like, "What? Like that's so like mm. absolutely unlike anything he's ever done." Like even when you go back to something like Insomnia or Memento, which is very very small compared to what he's kind of known for recently that's uh, it's so grounded it's such a grounded subject for someone who like took on batman after batman and robin and grounded the hell out of it <laughs> like yeah um so like and i was very interested and i uh, honestly going into it i thought it was going to be much more visceral um i didn't realize it was rated pg-13 until i actually went to go see it mm-hmm. um, uh and uh, just, you know, I didn't think about it. I was like, oh, World War II movie, he'll, he'll probably be rated R because that's what happens. Um, yeah, I was concerned about that actually going in, to yeah. be honest. Um, you know, just when you hear about a PG-13 World War II movie, mm. uh, it just, it, it made me worry that it was going to be um, a little bit sanitized. Yeah. Um, but I think um, the deal with this movie is that it is pretty much bloodless for the most part. Like you don't really see, it's not like, it's not like saving private Ryan or something like that. (laughs) Like you don't like, you don't, people's heads aren't being blown off. You know, there's not like, there's not blood splatter everywhere. There's not a dude Um, holding his own leg crying on the beach. (laughs) There's nothing like that. I mean, you do see sort of like the silhouette of like some bodies being like thrown by a, Mm. a bomb or something like that. But really, the focus of this movie is just on, like, the. Re- I think the reason that it feels, um, you know, it, it, it doesn't feel sanitized is because it really, really captures the terror yes, <laughs> of being absolutely. a soldier. And that's the um, thing, like, you, the, speaking of, like, the terror, like, like, between the soundtrack essentially only just being, like, the sound of a clock ticking for the most part, and, and, yes. um, which is not not disparaging the soundtrack in any way. Uh, it's very effective, but also like one thing that I noticed watching it is you never. There's one part where you kind of see the silhouette of a Nazi out of focus at the very very mm-hmm. end of the movie, and it's the way this movie starts and the way um, and this is kind of like uh, the refrain, like the the verse and refrain of this film is is long extended periods of silence and tension punctuated by incredibly intense um not violence but um like so like when a gun chaos goes off at, yeah chaos like the first time 
like the the opening of this film is that they're walking down and honestly also um before we get too far in we are going to spoil this movie but like as we were kind of talking about uh, uh precast um i mean spoilers we won world war Two and these guys got off the beach <laughs> <laughs> yes it is a true story folks don't yeah, worry like, it's he didn't we won um, he didn't Tarantino this, and you see Hitler get blown away at the end. So yes, although that would have that been a pretty cool. interesting uh, that would have been a pretty interesting uh, twist for Nolan. If yeah, he had done that. I don't know. Well, that didn't see that coming. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, like the beginning of this movie is the is just, uh, random soldiers walking down the street, and um, it's incredibly quiet. It's incredibly beautiful uh, just because of the architecture. Um, and then you hear a gunshot, and it is so loud. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it made me. It jump scared the so shit out of me. Yeah. I was like, "Whoa, okay, so that's what it's gonna be." Cool. Yeah. Like, and that, and that's something I noticed that, like, because a lot of times when you talk about Saving Private Ryan, and uh, even something like Hacksaw Ridge, um, mm-hmm. from that was last year, I think, at this point, right? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Those movies get so overwhelming. Um, which is, I mean, in part, I think that's very accurate to like a feeling that I'm sure, uh, is captured in war. Like, like, you know, is not to besmirch the, the beginning of, of Saving Private Ryan, the D-Day scene or, um, or anything in Hacksaw Ridge. This movie, I felt, um, every single time a gun fired, it was the most intense part. Um, yes. As opposed to something like Saving Private Ryan or Hacksaw Ridge, where it's just it's this unrelenting thing that kind of eventually just becomes tiresome noise, um, right? Which isn't necessarily bad in and of itself. That is, that is a choice there. Um, mm-hmm. But I I think I tend like as the movie was going, I'm like, okay, this is the World War II movie I really wanted. Um, which is yeah. something that it's like these moments, these very isolated moments of chaos, like you said, that were happening. Like when a bomb goes off or when a gunshot goes off, it is it's so impactful in the same way that, you know, I'm sure it was for the soldier standing on a beach waiting to, you know, hopefully not die. Right. And and you alluded to this uh, before, but I, I kept thinking about while watching this movie, um, the old description of war. I, I can't remember who it was who originally said this, but they described the experience of being a soldier in war as um long stretches of boredom punctuated by moments of sh- like sheer unbelievable terror yeah i can't and i th- that. yeah and uh and and you're right like every time a gunshot goes off in this movie it like it just like sends everybody for a loop you know it's it's very very impactful it's very loud in the sound mix you know it's not just this constant barrage of gunfire like it feels very purposeful in that way yeah. Um, like I said, you in that coupled with the idea that you never see a Nazi throughout this movie, like you'll see the planes. Um, right. You'll see a torpedo at one point. But like, like the, they're that, mostly an unseen force. For exactly. The most part. And it's terrifying. Like that first part where um, where the gunshot goes off in the streetway, you don't see where it comes from. And like immediately it draw it drew me in anyway. And I was in that moment with them where like I have no idea where this is coming from and dudes around you are getting picked off right now. And like, what are you going to do in that moment? Yep. Um, and it's just something that I, I don't really think I've seen. Like there have been moments like that in and other types of movies, like they'll have those kind of bewildering moments in, in other war movies. 
But I think it's really special that he was able to sustain this for, even though I think this is like his shortest movie outside of following, which is like yeah. a little over an hour long. Like this is a very short movie compared to other Christopher Nolan films. Um, yeah, it really is. Cause I mean, Jesus, like interstellar is what? Like it's nearly three. Pretty hours. Much an, it's like an hour, a full hour longer than this movie. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, but the, it doesn't, it, and I think that that goes along with the, um, the not like pushing the violence in your face, not like, you know, you don't see the gore and everything like that. Like for as large scale as this movie is feeding into the, um, the person, the personal feeling that's in this film, this is a very restrained movie. Like it, it, mm-hmm. it would be so easy to have all like to have blown this out into two and a half, two and a half hours, two hours, 45 minutes. Like I and I thought that's what it was gonna be like um, when I went into it, and then I saw the, you know the runtime. I was like, oh jeez, like wow. Um, and yeah, uh, I was I, w- I was shocked, but it is you're right. It's a very streamlined experience. It's a very no frills, no bullshit type of uh, type of film for sure. Yeah, and um, I have a little bit of a layout of how we want to go through this, but I mean we're we're already, we've already broken it, so whatever. <laughs> um, the talking about like not having any kind of like this movie, how lean this movie is for the incredible moments of silence that are in it. Um, my, one of my favorite things about it is the fact that characters don't sit around and tell their backstory to each other. Like you usually Mm -hmm. get in a world war two movie, which I understand like why you would have that because you want to endear the audience to the characters, so that when they eventually inevitably die, because that's what happened in world war two movies, you feel a sense of you, you by proxy feel that sense of loss, um, you know, in some small iota of what actually happened. This one is very much so like it kind of feels like Christopher Nolan just took some cameras and stuck it back in time and just filmed <laughs> the dudes waiting on the beach. Um, yeah. And, and um, before we get too far along, I'll go ahead and set up the premise of the movie, which is that, I mean, obviously, um, by this point, I think everyone kind of knows about the story of Dunkirk. Honestly, I didn't before I heard about this movie. Uh, that he was making this film. Like I had heard the story of these British soldiers that got evacuated from a beach in Paris. You know, like it was hardly a footnote in, in my history books uh, when I was in school. Yeah. I think it's because we're American. Yeah. That's it's 100% it. what it is. I mean, like that's in, that's uh, Nolan uh, specified that in some interviews where they asked him, you know, like how has this movie not been made before? He's like, cause it's, it's a British story and Hollywood is very, you know, American. Um, you know, it's just not, which, you know, it's, he's, he wasn't, you know, like calling anyone out. He's just like, it, it's a very British story. It's, you know, Dunkirk, uh, Dunkirk spirit, I guess is a saying that they have. So it's, it's very much part of their DNA. Um, and, uh, and like, there's like, he, he was talking about how in school, it's like this myth that you hear about this legend of, uh, of the soldiers at Dunkirk. Um, but you know, he's like, no one just could get the funding. Uh, for it, which is it's really cool that that he decided to pump a bunch of money into making this really amazing uh, film to tell this story. Um, right, and I'm willing to bet also that probably part of the reason that the story hasn't been told before is that it's essentially a story of failure and retreat. Ultimately, one, yeah, ab- absolutely. Like, how do you how do you make that as a satisfying ending? Yeah, um, it's it's an yeah it's an interesting story to tell, um, sort of it, while acknowledging the the greater military defeat um, 
you know, shining a light on the, you know, the individual acts of, of heroism and, um, you know, the way that um, the c- community really was able to um, band together and, you know, save all these lives. Yeah. And I mean, that's ultimately what the film winds up being about is like that, that Dunkirk spirit where, you know, the, you know, the, the climax of the movie is, is the, uh, the civilian ships getting um, to the beach so that they could ferry them back to larger boats because the, and I, I would suggest like maybe either if you haven't seen the film yet, either before or right after do a, do some wiki diving because there's actually like a lot of really interesting stuff that he doesn't take time to explain because it's not ultimately important to know. I think there's a throwaway line that the ships can't get into uh, the beach because it's too shallow even when the tide is up, but it's not mm-hmm. hammered upon. It's not a detail that they really drive home. So like you could just be like, well, why don't they send bigger boats? <laughs> yeah. <You know>? Um, <laughs> So it's do some, you know, I would, I would urge people to kind of, you know, just kind of read up on it a little bit because uh, I have and it, it's actually there's a whole lot of really interesting details surrounding the, you know, before uh, leading up to the retreat. And then after that, and how ultimately like this is actually uh, Hitler could have killed all of them and in, in had Britain uh, surrender in the war. But because he decided not to send in tanks and try picking them off with uh, air bombers, um, they were able to escape and ultimately not surrender to the war. Um, which is cool. Like it's 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 really cool. There's a lot of good stuff around it. But uh, anyway, um, the film takes place over three different um, storylines mainly. Um, it's the the mole, which is the beach, uh, the sea, and the sky. Um, and this is actually where like it's so funny. Like this could be such an an easy. It is a very streamlined way to tell the story. But Christopher Nolan doing as Christopher Nolan does still finds a way to complicate the storyline. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> yes, indeed. It, it's so cool because the I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, because I might have this wrong. Um, I think it's um, the the mole takes place over a week. Uh, the, yep. the sea takes place over a day and the air storyline takes place over one hour. Yep. And that's it like and as those things are coming up, I'm like, wait, is this gonna be nonlinear? And it absolutely is. <laughs> I was like, Yeah, Come on. it is. Yeah, it is. Although I think it's it's actually pretty clever the way that it's intercut. Absolutely. You know, because yeah. you're you it's I didn't really I didn't find it confusing at all, actually. Um which you, you think it, it could have the potential to be a little bit um cluttered. Um, but it's actually you're able to see um by using this 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 timeline and this and this construction, you're able to see the causality between things that are happening, like um, you know, at three different points in time. Like you'll see like X character appear in, in in one of these timelines, and then they'll show up in another timeline, and that's how you how you sort of track, um, you know, what's happening when and what the events led to what, and um, you know, it's actually it's actually pretty clear, I would say. Yeah, absolutely, and it's. It's not in any way confusing. Like, you're like, oh, okay. Like, there's different points in which, like, you know, all three will intersect. I think it's mainly the the air and sea are kind of the main points in which um, throughout the body of the movie it'll come together. Um, yes. And, uh, and it'll kind of... But I also feel like if you didn't notice that these take place over different um, periods of time and just intercutting between those, I actually don't think it would take away from the experience at all. Like you could still no. follow the story very clearly. You'd just be like, "Oh no, why?" I thought I already saw this, but I guess not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it didn't. 
it didn't take me out of it. You know, because honestly, um, the way that Nolan tries to sort of introduce this concept of, of these three different timelines happening is that he superimposes some text onto the screen. You know, like you said, like the mole one week, blah, 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 blah. Um, and honestly, I didn't really quite understand what that meant when I saw it. Like, what do you mean one week, one day, one hour? I don't, I don't understand this. But then, like, the first time you, you see an example of these, um, you know, these timelines intersecting, you're like, oh, okay, I, I understand what's going on. So Yeah, and I mean, like, and it's not, it's one of those things where it's not like, um, like I, was, I was kind of making a joke. It's like, yeah, of course, Christopher Nolan has to overcomplicate a story, but it, it doesn't feel forced in any way. It just feels like another way to make it an interesting movie to watch. Um, I mean, otherwise it would be still be a very good experience, but this is kind of like this extra foil laid over top of it to still make it entertaining, uh, in a way Mm -hmm. to put it, to piece it together. Like you said, seeing the, the reaction before seeing the causality of something, um, and then realizing where people were when, as the film is going. Um, so I actually thought that that was really successful and it wasn't overbearing, uh, in, mm-hmm. in any way, which was, was nice to know. I think I had, I kind of had an idea whenever it said, um, the air and then one hour, I was like, Oh, that's weird. And then almost entirely forgot about it until the timelines intersected for the first time. Um, yeah, exactly. Like I thought I was like, wait, so one day, one hour, like, was that one day from the last scene we saw? Yeah. Was it one? Like, I didn't quite understand. I, like, I didn't think that that information was like super clear. But again, like once you actually, you know, discern what's happening in the action of the story, it, be- it becomes clear. So, yeah. Um, and uh, so and the on the mole, it follows. Uh, do they say? any of the characters and any of the soldiers names on the beach because i actually don't like harry styles and the french guy that he hangs out with <laughs> uh, for, for most of the movie like there's very little like we said that people don't sit around and tell each other you know who they who they love back at home or their parents or what job they had um sure the- yeah i you know if they do say names i certainly didn't catch it or at the very least i didn't remember it like i'm actually looking at the cast listing right now and it's like Tommy. Yeah, Peter. the characters have names for sure. Yeah, in, but in, in the list. But I'm like, I don't yeah. remember that. Yeah, and and what's kind of amazing is like it doesn't really matter. No, it doesn't. <laughs> you don't know their names. And I think that this is actually like a really like I I, I heard some people saying like, well, I don't understand why Tom Hardy or, or Killian Murphy were in this movie. Like those could have been anybody. I'm like, no, like it makes so much more sense to have faces that you recognize from other films. Yes. Um, so that whenever they're just this ancillary character that comes in and doesn't say a whole lot, but they're still kind of important to the story, you can follow Mm -hmm. it then. Like you don't have to make, you know, real, you don't have to be trying to keep track of all, you know, mildly, uh, relatively similar looking white dudes, uh, Mm -hmm. on a beach the entire time. Um, yes, which can be an issue in world war two movies. Like, I mean, that has been an issue in the past, um, where you're like, I don't know how to keep track of like 10 different guys in uniform. Um, sure. Yeah. No, I agree. It was a very deliberate choice to have uh, Tom Hardy and, and Killian Murphy plays the role, play the roles that they did, and um, sort of all the all the foot soldiers do kind of get lost in the shuffle. Mm-hmm. I, I, I guess you could say. Like, I know I definitely had a hard time distinguishing between all of them, um, and I I, th- I think that that was um, I, I really think that that was an intentional decision on Christopher Nolan's part to have them be sort of interchangeable or at the very least not have it be terribly important that you couldn't tell 
which soldier which soldier was which at any given point you know because they are at a certain point you're just looking at like a sea of like similar looking like white dudes with the same haircut with Mm -hmm. dirty faces all wearing the same uniform um but really it's 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 weird to say but it's kind of okay for me that you you don't necessarily Mm -hmm. that you don't necessarily identify all of them like i said and like i said like it would it would be honestly weird if someone came up and said hi i'm i'm so and so and they had a very distinct like you know like hey i'm from the bronx you know like (laughs) yeah You know, like that. It, it would have been considering weird. they're all British and French. Uh, it would that, have been very weird. In that particular example is a bad example, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> trying to think of a World War II stereotype. That's all I can think of. <laughs> and see, uh, that's our that's our Americanness coming. Yeah, through exactly. Again. Oh, I ruined it already. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, yeah, I think you're 100 percent right. Like again, what I said before, like and like I looked up some images that they actually have from the beach of Dunkirk because like. The like Christopher Nolan like and this is one thing I absolutely love about him is that he he just doesn't like he doesn't like working with green screen or CGI a whole lot like he loves filming on location or uh, or in actual places and like he actually filmed on the beach of Dunkirk using yes. the ships that actually were there to pick up the soldiers back in 1940. Like he, yes, this blew this blew my fucking mind honestly. I know. I like I I so I didn't know this going into it. It wasn't until later that I read it, but I, that that's incredible. The fact that he used some of the actual ships that were involved in this real life evacuation, that is insanity. Yeah, that's craziness. And like it's so funny because like it totally without knowing it, it I think that totally adds to the film because then like once they actually like get onto the ships and stuff, like it everything feels so like it just doesn't feel like a movie at any point like it's it kind of just feels like a docu it's like planet earth but for the dunkirk evacuation like it's just there happens to be a camera here while we watch this this take place yeah very authentic very very authentic um so and that's kind of how the movie breaks down is that uh you follow harry styles and the french guy uh, on the beach, I, I'm sorry. I keep calling him the French guy. That's just the only distinguishing factor about him is that he is that he's not British, which comes up later yes. in the plot. Um, which you know, I love that. Like, it, I had no idea what was going on with that. Like, because at the beginning he's burying, you can see that he's burying somebody. Um, but I had no idea that he wasn't supposed to be one of the soldiers there until later in the movie when someone points out that he's not British. Right, me neither. I'm not sure if we're supposed to understand that at first, or if it's supposed to be kind of a twist. Do, do you did you get a sense of yeah, that? Yeah, I don't. I mean, I'm sure that more astute people other than myself could pick up like, oh, there's something fishy going on there. But I mean, like, I just watched uh, this one guy; like, all of his friends just died in front of him. So I think it would make sense for him to help this other guy bury a dude. Like, mm-hmm. um, and that's like, I love how there's there's so much silence in the beginning of this film, like how. How they both pick up the wounded soldier to try and get on the ship. And, like, it doesn't really, like, it never feels like, um, I don't, I don't know what really the word is. Like, they don't ever feel like conniving trying to get on the ship. It's just like, yeah, okay, they're trying to get on the boat to get off of this beach because, like, it sucks. Yeah, they're trying to save their ass. And then, like, they to- they don't get to stay on the boat. And they're like, all right, well, it was worth a shot, I guess. Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, it's just, yeah, I love how everything is just so very matter-of-factly laid out, and, like, there's, like, very little mind 
paid to details, but the details are there, which is kind of a signature of, of Nolan's filmmaking in and of itself. Um, but I think like he was really able to kind of just lay bare this this event um, as it as it played out without, you know, trying to make it again too much of a movie uh, that, that, you know, a standard, you know, entertaining popcorn movie. Yeah, it's 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 very straightforward in the way that it's presented, even even though like a lot of the, the even though a lot of the um the cinematography and whatnot is is pretty ornate yes. and whatnot it's still it's still it always feels 100% grounded and um speaking of that like we should probably mention uh one of the best scenes in the movie in my opinion uh at least one of the most visually striking ones which is like that first air raid oh that God. comes over the beach and, uh, and please go see this like either see it in 70 millimeter or an IMAX because the yeah. sound design on the planes is so yes. immense <laughs> yes uh, yeah i was i was fortunate to see this movie in 70 millimeter at the Cinerama Dome here in Los Angeles and i was so glad that i shelled out the extra cash to see it because um, just the the sensory experience of it, I think, is um, something that people watching it on their TV at home are are just not gonna get. Like you oh, just absolutely not. You, you you have to you have to go see this. Um, but yeah. So, anyways, we we hear um, you know the, the 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 planes coming, the oncoming air raid, and then you see all the soldiers on the beach just sort of react as sort of like this one massive organism oh, almost and just like so they all just they all just cower in fear at the same time and just drop to the ground and you just see the bombs drop and some of them get hit some of them don't and they kind of just have to and then they just stand back up and get back in line because yep, what else are they going they just, to do some guys stand back up some guys don't and you're just like damn that's really how it is you just you drop to the floor Wait till the booming stops and hope. Yeah, hope that, it's uh, not you. <laughs> yes, exactly. I I just thought that that was such a such a jarring moment. Yeah, because it, it's yeah. just so unexpected, and it's funny because that's something I picked up on reading on it later. That like apparently it was notable that the British just didn't make much of a fuss. They just stood in line, like waiting to get on the boats. Like yep. no one, like no one lost their minds uh, because of the bomb. Like there's no like note of anything like that happening. Like they, again, that Dunkirk spirit, that resolve of like, okay, all right, we're waiting again. Yeah, and and truthfully, there's really nothing else you can do. Yeah, in, in that, that situation. In that situation, yeah, because I mean, like that's. Um, I don't think I mentioned it at the beginning, um, but the Germans actually had flyers dropped down over the city, in in English, of a map outlining how they were surrounded. Uh, to demoralize them which i'm like god like i can't i just i can't even imagine begin to imagine actually seeing that and being in that in that experience but um savage yeah it absolutely is and i think i think it's part of that first scene like specifically where you're talking about how the soldiers react as one organism is that first um bombing raid where they're on the pier and you watch like it seems like just thousands and thousands of guys in this wave all ducking Mm. on the pier as the camera just sits on it and you see like and like again nolan you not pulling any punches it's like those he really got three hundred thousand people on the beach like it like it looks like three hundred thousand soldiers all dropping 
at the same time, which there's just something really weird to like to see that actually happen that CGI just can't really replicate. Yeah, and that yeah, it's yeah. We should probably mention we kind of touched on it before, but very extensive use of practical effects in this movie, uh, including all the extras, like you mentioned. Um, maybe it's possible that some of the people that you see are computer generated to some extent, but it, it, for me at least, it was completely seamless. Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't spot it. Like, really, the only thing I could actually think of that would need to be CGI is where the oil spill happens. I'm like, I'm pretty oh. sure he didn't dump oil into the ocean. <laughs> so, uh, you're pr- yeah, you're probably vi- yeah, you're probably violating some law by doing that. Well, maybe for um, Christopher Nolan, he can get away for he can get away with. It. He's like, It'll yeah, be- he is he is a national treasure yeah. over there. So who knows? Maybe they just turn the blind eye. Um, and I guess there are there are instances, like I said, where you just sort of see bodies flying. Um, due to the impact of the bomb, and the, I mean, I don't most know. of the time those, though, that's are... out of focus. Like it's like it's focused in on someone in the foreground, and you're just kind of seeing this this mayhem happen in the background, um, which is a really great way of doing it. So it's it's still hard to tell. So it's if he is using it in those instances, he's using it very smartly and like not actually you know letting it bleed through and take you out of the moment. Yeah, exactly. Like I said, I did not notice any moment in this film where I was like, oh, that's that's very clearly CGI. It's all very convincing. Yeah. And then so that's and that's kind of the majority of the film on on the mole is them kind of waiting and things develop, you know, here, there, there are character moments, um, which we can get to mm-hmm. uh, uh, particular ones. Um Right. Uh, but speaking of the air raids, the I think the sky portion of the movie might be my favorite. Like, I love all of it. Um, like I love all of it a lot, but the anytime it switched to the sky, I got really excited because of the way he filmed the dogfights. Like I mean, like he got the actual planes and he stuck cameras on them and flew planes around um, over the water. Like it just it yeah. looks so thrilling. And again, the sound design like it sounds like the planes are going to fall apart when they're firing. Like, yes. Yep. It, it sounds like bullets hitting like a small rickety plane made out of steel for sure. Yeah. It's like, tin, like if you shoot a tin can, it kind of sounds like that, which I'm like, God, these guys actually flew those things. Yeah. And then, you know, Tom Hardy, who is always just so good in everything he does. I yes. just wish he would stop covering up most of his face <laughs> for the majority of films. Yeah. I mean, he's a great actor yeah, with his eyes, but <laughs> yeah, no, it's kind of, yeah, it has become a, um, a bit of a joke at this point, just how often he's in films where his face is sort of obscured. Um, <laughs> I think this really started at least to my recollection with Bane. Yeah. Um, you know, another I mean, Chris Nolan joint there. Yeah. No, um, Nolan, I had... think just like seeing Tom Hardy in a mask. Yeah, he just really, he really likes Tom Hardy's eyes and literally no other part of him. Um, <laughs> likes his voice you know, and his is, eyes. Which is, yeah, which is a shame because, you know, Tom Hardy is a very, very handsome man. But um, I don't know, Christopher Nolan, he just he, he, he looks at Tom Hardy and he says, you know what, that's a great pair of eyes. I don't really care for the rest of it. He does not um, use all of the Tom Hardy buffalo. <laughs> no, he certainly does not. Um, but yeah, you're right. I, I personally, I think Tom Hardy is like one of the best actors working today. Oh, absolutely. Um, I, I think he's. I think he's actually really great in roles like this because for somehow he's able to communicate a lot, like completely silently. Um, like I, I don't. I don't know. I just felt like using his eyes and just. His general demeanor, I, I just felt like it was still a really effective performance. Oh, absolutely, and I mean, he—the few times that he does speak, it is all like military jargon. 
Like, it's all communicating yeah. with other planes. So there's never, like, a moment of him, like, breaking down in the plane. Because, I mean, the the tension with his storyline is that uh, his, his fuel gauge breaks. So he cannot... He's using, like, time and tracking... He's trying to track his fuel with his time. So there, it's, you know, like the rest of the movie, it's a very tense um, sequence anytime it shows up for him. Because there's constantly that that fear of him running out of fuel over the ocean. Um, yeah. And, uh, but like, it's like you said, it's, it's all in his eyes. And like, even whenever he is like saying things to the other pilot, like when he's trying to, to track, you know, how he's using his, his, co- uh, um, the other fighters, uh, fuel to kind of gauge his own. And you can even like tell the a hint in his voice of him being really nervous about it, but <laughs> knowing that he has to push forward, He's like, no, yep. that's already, like he asked him, like the other guy asked him if he, wants, if he wants to turn back. And it's just a simple, no, we can keep going. But like just mm-hmm. with those few words and, and like you said, his eyes, he's able to communicate like the terror, but also the the determination that has to be taken yeah. place in that moment. Yeah, even though you can tell he's he's obviously worried about the fuel situation, he's very in control. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that has a lot to do with just Tom Hardy's screen presence. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, it's like it's it's very funny, like how much like he's one of those people that like similar to how he is in Mad Max, where it's like he is just he's badass without having without the director having to tell you that he is like he yeah. just is like you're like, man, that guy's so cool. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's great. Um, he's so good. And then the uh, the sea follows is probably the most personal part of the story. It follows a, a man, his son, and then his son's friend, um, which is like, like I said, the sky is my favorite part, but I love all three storylines in this in this film. And uh, this is actually the the uh, the storyline where uh, Killian Murphy is it Killian Murphy? Is it Cillian Murphy? I've heard both. And it's Killian Murphy. That's what I thought. Yeah, a little weird. I, that was when I hear it the other way. Yeah, I, I referred to him as Cillian for a long time, and I think it's just, you know, once again, we're Americans. We don't understand <laughs> we don't understand Europe, so uh but yeah, no, it is it is Killian. You don't call it Celsius, come on. Yeah, a, I don't know. I, I don't I don't that's make a dumb the joke, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um But uh yeah, so that's this is a storyline where he shows up and actually like he has I guess watching the trailer, like, the trailer is very indicative of what the film is, but it also kind of, like, I kind of wish they just didn't show him, um, mm-hmm. because it's not that he necessarily plays a an unimportant role, but it is a more minor role than it is portrayed in the trailer. Um, right. And, uh, but it, it's, I think it's still, like, what he does in that, in this film, where he plays a shell-shocked soldier, um, from one of the uh, the destroyers um, that got uh, torpedoed, um, the way he pulls that off is so incredible uh, because it's like um, his storyline is effectively that he kind of just like freaks out and like knocks the one like I did not see that coming where he knocks the one kid down the stairs. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, I, I did. I didn't either. Um, yeah, and you know you're right. He's not really essential to the central plot of this movie i guess you could say um but i think that his character is important in that it's um you know sort of showing the effects of war on the human psyche yeah you know because everybody else in the movie is like too busy running around um you know to to really um you know be giving you this perspective of somebody who has 
experienced horrible things and is now dealing with sort of the aftermath of it. Mm-hmm. And I think Killian Murphy was a really great choice just because he has kind of a, a haunted look on his face, you know? Yeah. Just uh, speaking of actors that just like sort of innately give off a vibe, I, I thought that he was really well cast. Oh, absolutely. Um, and like in what I was saying, where he he kind of freaks out on the family because they're trying to restrain him because he doesn't want them to go back to Dunkirk. Um, and this is kind of one of the first moments where the the storylines kind of converge um, because I believe it's a. F- I'm still not entirely like so. It's it's Harry Styles and his friend get on the same boat, correct? That he was on. That gets shot down. Oh, uh, you know, boat? I uh, that's what I kind of was gathering. It's the same one, and they get dragged away. I again, I don't know. I'm not entirely <laughs> sure because like I said they're all in military uniform, and I mean that's the whole point of a military is that it's all kind of looks the same. You can't differentiate. Yeah, I don't think it's I don't think it's terribly important either um, way, honestly. But I I want to jump back to that real quick because talking about how his the way he is affected by that. Um, the moment where, uh, there is a, there is a part where, um, where Harry Styles and his friend are able to get onto a ship to get off, to, uh, to get off of Dunkirk. Um, mm-hmm. but then it follows his friend outside who's, uh, sitting on the deck or someone is sitting on the deck. And the, this was a moment that really stuck out to me where the torpedo was coming through the water towards the ship. Yes. And I actually thought that that was really terrifying. Yes. Like that, no, absolutely. that scared that scared me so bad just like to suddenly realize what that was. Um mm-hmm. like the silence of it moving through the water. I was like, "Oh my god." Like that yeah. was so unbelievably effective for how for how silent and how you could almost miss it if you weren't really paying attention. Yeah, and it's something you just don't really see in movies that often. Mm-hmm. Like you don't really see torpedoes really in general, but especially presented in that way, you know, yeah, where you're like above the surface and it's like the camera's following it underneath the water and you know it's yeah. real intense. Yeah, I think usually when there's torpedo attacks in movies, it's like taken from the uh perspective of inside the ship mm-hmm. and all of a sudden there's just like a big boom and everybody shakes around. Um but what happens here is that you somebody says like holy shit, there's a torpedo coming uh well they don't say that but yeah. uh to that effect um and then you they cut to um above the surface of the water and you can see just sort of the shape of the torpedo coming at them and it's like oh shit and then it immediately cuts to a bunch of the soldiers just like underwater <laughs> yeah which is <laughs> like crazy being, like, Yeah, just being sort of trapped by the architecture of the boat, and everybody is just, like, in a full-blown panic trying to, like, find their their way to the surface. Which, in that... He he very, like, I had no idea that's where the scene was going, and the way he packs everyone into the bottom of that boat at the beginning, where they're all, like, you know, they're eating their toast and drinking their tea, you're like, there's way too many people at the bottom of this boat. Like, I was just getting (laughs) nervous looking at it, because I get nervous and tight rooms with lots of people in them anyway um mm. but then like as soon as i realized what was happening in the scene i was like oh no like i like he captures the disorientation of trying to like what do you even do in that situation again like you know you keep saying that for how how well he captures the situation uh for the entire film but like it was so unbelievably effective like you said like it's it's so unlike how you've seen something like this in other films yeah the the to me that's easily one of the most effective scenes for sure absolutely um and so and then like it kind of like i said it kind of moves along and um there are different points like i mean you could 
kind of you know wash over it where it's like you know it kind of cuts between the three and they're they're slowly but surely kind of the storylines are tightening around each other you can kind of see them converging um and before we really get to the um the uh the the um the climax of the film and the the real like big last set piece of um of the last bombing raid and where the 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 last dogfight that kind of happens there is there are there any other moments kind of in the middle that really stood out to you on this first viewing anyway um well how about the um the target practice scene oh my Should god we talk about that so a little intense. bit <laughs> yeah so that that i mean we talked earlier about how every gunshot has a huge impact in this movie this actually to me was like the example of that mm-hmm. because um some soldiers find refuge in a ship that has been like beached um some way or another and um they're all just kind of huddled down there in the bottom and all of a the sudden there's just a huge gunshot coming from outside and um you know the the Nazis apparently don't know that there are British and French soldiers in there they're just kind of using it for target practice um you know but again we never see them yeah. you know we are strictly experiencing this from the terrified soldiers inside this boat and so just slowly just more and more uh you know gunshots start hitting this boat and eventually there are holes that start opening up uh, all around the boat from the gunshots and the tide comes in yeah and water starts pouring it's just like a fucking nightmare yeah it's, it's... just it like keeps slowly escalating to just get worse and worse and worse because like the originally there's just it's starting to leak through one one of the holes that were made so one guy like just like being real quiet because like, they're all laying down they're like okay they don't know we're in here because originally they all freak out because they think that they're actually being attacked but then they one of the guys realizes what's going on um, because they're, it's not an assault. They're just, you know, you can kind of see it's a localized shot around one point. Um, and uh, one of the guys tries to go over to plug up the hole, and then he gets shot just inadvertently. And, you know, uh, he just got shot, so of course he's freaking out. Um, as would I. Like, I would not be quiet in that situation. I just got shot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, so everyone's, like, trying to, you know, they're all freaking out, and they're trying to keep him quiet, and then... I think at that point, you know, it's pretty obvious that the Nazis notice that someone's in there because they can hear him because then they just riddle the side of the boat with gunfire. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> so bad. <laughs> um, but, yeah, that film is, that, that, that is so absolutely intense. I think that's also the scene where you find out that, um, that the one guy is actually a French soldier. Uh, yeah. wearing British uh, clothing and one of the guys I don't I don't think it's you're actually supposed to think this I think it's just trying to show the paranoia of the soldiers in the situation um, but one of the other uh, soldiers that were already kind of hiding out in the bottom of the boat um, uh, think that he's uh, actually a spy yes um, mm-hmm. they think he's a German spy yeah because he just doesn't say the entire film he hasn't said anything which shouldn't mm-hmm. be that weird because I mean no one's really saying anything <laughs> yes mm-hmm. no one's particularly chatty um, yeah this movie incidentally uh, not a ton of dialogue overall no. like a very surprise because Nolan's films tend to be very talky they're kind of infamous for that and this movie really doesn't have a ton of it it's, it's, very, it's kind of it's incredible very quiet and i think that and i think that kind of 
that's a product of his other films usually be usually being a little more high minded. So he's having to explain really elaborate yes. premises through premises yes. and characters. Um, yeah, which we'll we'll get into in the other Nolan episode, but I think he's incredibly good at doing without it just being exposition bleh, for the most part. Um, uh, this one, I, I think he again speaking to that restraint. Anything he didn't have to do, he didn't do. Um, so kind of just letting the camera pan over these these views and just seeing the action um, play out, I think, is far more effective than having characters you know yell and talk the entire time. I think mm-hmm. the majority of the speaking you actually get outside of the of the storyline on the boat with the father and his son um, is actually the commanding officers kind of just talking to each other about how awful the situation is. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we get Kenneth Branagh as as one of the um, the the British sort of higher ups that you mentioned, and um, his role <laughs> is basically to uh, relay the horrible news to the audience. <laughs> yeah. Exactly um, what it is. It's that he's basically just a mouthpiece for like, oh shit, they're not coming to get us, are they? Yeah. And oh, like, he's well, guess that... we better just wait here and see what happens. And he gets that wonderful, wonderful line where he's like, you can almost see it. And the the other officer's like, what is that? He's like, home. I was like, man, like, mm-hmm. that sucks. <laughs> Which apparently, yeah. again, speaking to accuracy, that's apparently true. Like on clear days, you could actually see across the channel. Um, to oh, really? the other coast which i'm like god like how depressing is that like, oh man it's just in case it couldn't get more dire you can actually see where you would like to go the entire mm-hmm. time and do you think that that's why at one point we see a soldier just kind of like walking into the I think ocean that's exactly you know what i'm what's talking going about on at that point is that he's like screw it i'm just gonna try to swim yeah like i couldn't because it seemed like he's definitely like you know I'm I'm fed up with this shit. <laughs> like I yeah I don't I, think it's like specifically I, him committing suicide. I think he's actually trying no. to just swim across. And it's like and then no. like, it's just a shot that you see of that happening. And like, right. And yeah. Yeah. It. I had I hadn't yeah I hadn't really considered that till now. But um yeah that's yeah. And again, like I didn't I didn't realize any of this until until I'd kind of done a little bit of, of reading because I was bored at work um, the following day. Um, mm. But um, so yeah, absolutely. That scene, the target practices was great. And then, like you said, like there's just this the shot of the soldier walking out into the ocean. There's just there are so many of these wonderful moments that I mean, not wonderful because they're awful, but like these incredible moments that he chooses to use throughout the film, so that it's it's not as boring as it sounds to watch dudes sit on a beach for an hour and a half and occasionally get bombed, um, right. Like it's it's constantly arresting because of what what he's choosing you to show you and how he's how he's uh, choosing to show it to you. Um, yes, absolutely. Though that target practice scene is is an incredible standout along with the uh, the torpedo scene. Um, mm-hmm. Which and then it all kind of um, culminates in uh, there's one final dogfight and uh, uh, where at this point. Um, uh, Tom Hardy's wingman uh, has, I think he gets shot down. And then, so he lands just kind of like he skids to a halt in the water um, and is saved by, which again, a scene where he gets stuck in the cockpit of the, of the plane is so intense. Woo! I was like, okay, I'm not okay oh. with watching this right now. <laughs> like, Wow. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. I almost forgot about that. That's actually like, that was where I was feeling the most, just like intense claustrophobic feelings throughout this entire movie. It was just him like, 
banging on the the roof of his cockpit trying to get out you know and you're just like and he starts to at first he's just punching it and then he uses his gun and the water is just slowly rising up his body and you're just like ah <laughs> and i mean on top of that it's such a tiny little plane so the cockpit does, doesn't even really give him a whole lot of room for leverage to punch at anyway nope. so you're just like oh my god <laughs> like this is so intense but thankfully um he gets actually picked up uh by the the father and the son on the boat um mm-hmm. which is really is i think again just a masterful way of just kind of tying all of the stories together in a non-obvious way um mm-hmm. uh so after that so um tom hardy's kind of left alone and he's keeps trying to you know pick off the fighters whenever he can whenever he can find them um because i think at some point like the boats kind of start to show up to get people like they're getting closer to to dunkirk but there's another bomber coming in yeah um that's actually you know it's very obviously lining up to uh to to knock out the boats and uh mm-hmm. i believe it's at this point that um that tom hardy he runs out of fuel and yeah. he's just coasting the rest of the time which is really great yeah that's actually a really really beautiful sequence um, towards the end there where his plane is completely out of fuel and the propeller just isn't moving at all and he's just sort of gracefully you know guiding himself to safety along the beach like all those scenes are really have this like very um you know elegaic um um quality to them i think yeah which is like this is um and i mean like i said spoilers the they get off of the beach. <laughs> the uh, the civilian boats show up, uh, you know, as they did historically, to, to pick them up and ferry them to bigger boats or to just go ahead and take them back across the channel entirely. Um, and uh, it's kind of like... And Christopher Nolan is like one of the very, very few directors I've seen be able to pull this off where he will have a movie be very either dire or very intense. Um the entire time but still be able to pull off a very satisfying happy ending um, yes i'm usually not a fan of happy endings because they usually are still amazingly enough still we can't get away from deus ex machina's saving the day uh and mm. film somehow i don't get you know how that we haven't worked that out for the most part um but uh he like the entire like ending sequence whenever whenever tom hardy finally gets the last bomber and all of the civilian boats are coming up it is like the amount of payoff you want for the intensity that is the entirety of this film um yeah from the get-go it doesn't let up ever yeah i I totally agree like those ending sequences i think there really is a great sense of relief um you know ultimately like we mentioned it is a military failure but you know, all these men, uh, what is it, 400,000 of them, yeah. um, you know, they're about to be evacuated. And, and by the way, uh, the word I meant to say earlier was uh, elegiac. Uh, yeah. I couldn't let that pass. Yeah, I, uh, I, know. I was like, I'm like <laughs> I, I didn't know the proper word, so I'm like, well, I'm not going to say anything because I don't uh, know just, what it is. <laughs> yeah, I, I, just, I realized I, I pronounced it wrong as soon as I said it. I just, I, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't let that stand. It's a tick. Um, but anyways, yeah, that is a great moment when you just see the fleet of civilian ships arrive. Um, and Kenneth Branagh just sort of looks with uh, this great sense of civic British pride. Yeah, exactly. Which um, it's like it's like oh man, it's and it's such a good feeling. Like, even though it's like it's very, it has literally nothing to do with the American military at that point. Like you can take 
like I felt that pride at that moment. I'm like, that's like, that's incredible because, and, and Christopher Nolan has even expressed this in interviews that he's like, he's like, I think it, it, it is a, a story that transcends the being British that it, it extends to all of humanity at that point of, of the ability to come together in, in a moment of crisis like this and, and not give up. Um, yeah, absolutely. and, uh, yeah. And this is actually the one part of the movie where Hans Zimmer's score actually becomes melodic in, in any form or fashion. Um, yeah, we should talk about Hans Zimmer's score, by the way. Yes. So um, let me, um, how do you feel just kind of like, how does this compare to his other Nolan scores? Because I, I kind of hear it as a constant complaint in a similar way. I hear a constant complaint of Nolan's films in and of themselves that they're very kind of quote unquote one note or very simplistic, I guess, and not, you know, very uh, expressive. I heartily disagree with that, but that's, mm-hmm. you know, that's laud uh, regularly at this. So how do you feel this stacks up against those? Um, yeah, a lot of people really seem to take issue with Hans Zimmer. Um, I personally find his work in Nolan's films to be very effective. Yeah. Like, I know that the, um, the sort of in- inception bomb <laughs> has sort of become like a, I don't know, people like to make fun of it a lot, but it was you know, cool having inception. Ju- yeah, no, having just watched Inception again recently uh, for the uh, upcoming podcast that we discussed, um, it's it's really effective, I think. Um, and this one is actually very different from that. Yeah, it's um, you you likened it to the sound of a ticking clock earlier, and uh, I think that's the perfect way of describing it. You know, it's really not that intrusive. It's just sort of like this underlying. Um, like tone setter that just sort of like hangs throughout the movie that's like you know lots of like you know quickly plucked strings that are just sort of like um, I don't know really guiding the action very well I felt like um, yeah it's like it's, just it's, adding yeah it's yeah, actually almost in certain action sequences it's actually um, really hard to differentiate it from like the jets flying or something like that. Right. Like the percussion and the way the, the, the very um, sparse string work that actually happens, it sounds very much so like the jets screaming across the sky. It has to be intentional, right? Oh, absolutely. 100%. Like I, they released, um, they released as a single, the, the Supermarine track um, on, uh, on Spotify before the film came out. Cause I am, like I said, I'm a huge fan of all of his work. I think it's, I think he gets a bad rap for people who emulate his style and don't do it very well. Um, Mm -hmm. And actually, I think like most of the time when he is not working with Christopher Nolan, it's pretty non, you know, like I, the only other time I heard a score and I was like, that sounds like Hans Zimmer was 12 years a slave. Um, Yeah. I was just about to mention that. Like there's, that's the only other film that like, I didn't know he scored and it sounded like him. Um, because for mm-hmm. the most, because like, I think he did the soundtrack for Boss Baby. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> <laughs> for whatever reason, on Spotify, when you type in Hans Zimmer, Boss Baby shows up. So I'm not sure hey, listen, what to think of that. Listen, 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 Hans, keep getting them checks. <laughs> yeah, oh, 100 percent. Yeah, man, dude works. <laughs> oh, speaking, of, this is a little bit of a side note, but did you, did you see him perform at all at Coachella? I've um, seen the videos. Yeah. 
it was freaking awesome. It's so his concerts a, are so cool. <laughs> it was incredible. I was like, because I had never seen it before, and I was a little skeptical. But uh, I watched like a live stream of it when he did perform at Coachella, mm-hmm. and he's like rocking the hell out oh, on guitar. Dude, like, and he's just like they did a live performance actually of the Dark Knight soundtrack, which is very like techno. Like, so it was a little bit. Like, it looked a little bit like a rave, but like with a Hans Zimmer <laughs> soundtrack, and I can really get into that kind of a rave. Like, it was awesome <laughs> yeah and it's so great because he's just out there in like you know jeans and a t-shirt he just looks yeah. he looks like somebody's he looks like somebody's dad it's exactly and what he's it just is. like commanding this like overwhelming torrent of sound yeah, it's so great but it's also in the yeah exactly like it, he's he's emanating the Hans zimmer soundtrack which is great um but <laughs> yeah, yeah anyways and that's in the so the supermarine track is like the only one that kind of has that that really cool like that string electric guitar bending kind of sound that uh, that he used a lot in like Man of Steel, like it's got this kind of like a, a like a siren again, like that the bombing siren kind of a sound. Um, so I absolutely think that that has to be intentional. Like the percussion of the ticking sounds, it's very syncopated um, yes. with the bullets hitting things in the same way that the the screams of the of the strings or whatever he's using there uh, is always accenting the uh, the planes coming in and the, and the larger action sequences especially at the end um and it in absolutely it's i don't the film would still be incredible without it but it adds so much in those sequences um when you're actually like when you're like my favorite parts was of the uh, of the dogfights were whenever christopher nolan would cut to a camera that is just sat on the wing of a plane and then it starts doing these real sick like rolls like not sick cool but like like my drum my, my stomach dropped out um right. whenever the plane would kind of do like a barrel roll or something like that like in that added so much to those sequences i thought yep yeah but no um yeah i i agree i i i found hans zimmer's score to be um very very effective in a totally different way than uh past nolan films i really appreciated it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so I guess, um, that's kind of the, the film, unless there's anything really you want to, that you, uh, wanted to talk about within the film itself. Um, Um, there is, there is one aspect of it that I, I wanted to get to. Um, I don't know if this was your experience with it, but I oftentimes had a little bit of an issue with the sound mixing as it relates to the dialogue. Mm. Um, maybe it was just my own theater, but I had a pretty difficult time discerning what was being said a lot of the time. Oh, really? Yeah, because uh, maybe I'm just bad at you know picking out the uh, the subtleties of, of British accents or something. But mm. um, I had I had a difficult time um, making out some of the the details of what was being said. Was there any um, uh, scenes in particular where that or that seemed especially egregious? Uh, there were things that Kenneth Branagh's character said that I didn't quite pick up on. Mm. Um, like I said, maybe it was just me. Um, so I did. I had a little bit of an issue with that, and I, I have seen other people say that, you know. And I remember that actually being um, a complaint for Inception. Actually, I remember hmm. a lot of people saying because. Um, because Nolan, the way Nolan, like, he mixes his films to be heard and seen in a theater. Like, that's very much so, like, I mean, he's he says that all the time, that he's like, these are meant to be seen and heard in a theater. And I only ever see his movies in an IMAX theater, and I know that their sound, at least the one I go to, the sound system is 
mixed much I think much better than the rest of the theaters in the, in that building um, just because of the way it is so I actually didn't have an issue with the dialogue but like also like you had to legitimately cover your ears whenever the planes went over because of how ridiculously loud it was <laughs> I gotcha yeah for me there were just moments where it just sounded like a bunch of like <laughs> you know what I mean like I just couldn't really make it no, up that's actually, but, those are actually yeah. the lines so I don't know <laughs> oh I see yeah yeah, but you know what? It's not. It's actually not. <laughs> again, with this film, it's not actually that important because everything that happens, um, y- you can pretty much, um, you can pretty much discern the plot of this film just purely visually. Oh, absolutely! You know? Like this would work so well um, as like a silent film, right? Or at least dialogue. Or I meant, yeah, like, like without any dialogue whatsoever. This this could totally uh, this this film would totally be as effective. I believe. Yeah, so that was that was one uh one one somewhat minor complaint. Also, I had uh you know just as long as we're just getting my you know somewhat minor criticisms out of the no, way. No, you hate the movie. It's um, okay. Yeah, no, I I thought it was a piece of shit as we've established here. Um, I didn't, I wasn't totally loving the subplot that we mentioned before of the kid who becomes blinded and uh, spoiler alert later dies because of Killian Murphy's actions. Mm-hmm. I just felt like it was just a little bit little bit cheap. It I felt, felt like... like the only part where it was being a movie. Yes. Yeah, then yeah, that's that's the perfect way of putting it. Because the injury happens very abruptly mm-hmm. and it just felt like it felt like a little bit of a contrivance just to sort of um inject some some pathos into the movie and i just didn't i didn't feel like it was yeah part, part of me wonders and I, it would have been very easy to look this up because they make a point of saying that it's in the newspaper um i wonder if that was actually a thing that happened yeah that's a good and point. I, but that, that I, point. I have no idea because it could just be very well just be this weird subplot that like he felt like he needed a more of a specific character at one point in the film um, that's the only way that I, that's, that's kind of what I feel like if it wasn't actually a real thing that happened, it feels like maybe he, he wanted at least one character that he could try to like specifically pull at your heartstrings, but no, you're absolutely right. That that's, like I said, it's the one part where it's like, okay, this actually feels like a subplot to a movie. Right. Exactly. And I, you know, maybe they were just trying to, um, add some depth to Killian Murphy's character, Maybe, but yeah. I, I felt, I felt like not a lot really came of it. No, not honestly. really. It is, it is very much so just cause, cause like you said, it, there's not a whole lot of fanfare, um, about him having died or anything like that. Um, I don't know. Maybe there is some kind of intention to, uh, to show that the civilians also sacrificed uh, something as well to go across. So I, I no, but I, I actually agree with you. I had, I had forgotten in, in a wash of my, of my love for the film after it was over, I had kind of forgotten about that because it kind of just yeah. happens. And then, yeah, which, which, which then, is kind of damning in a way. Happening. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. No, yeah. It's 100% like not an excuse for it. It's more just like, Oh, maybe you didn't need it then. Um, sure. Yeah, that's that's my big point. Is like you didn't it wasn't wasn't totally necessary. Which actually, like that specific complaint. So um, with that, I think we can kind of move into the reception. 
Um, and overall, I think this movie's getting pretty positive reception from what I can tell. I think it's like 94 last time I checked on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, very positive. Which, uh, in fact, uh, if you go to the Dunkirk Wikipedia page, um, in the like one of the opening paragraphs there, it says it's uh, being called by some critics as one of the greatest war films ever made. I'm, I'm glad. Here's the thing. Like, every time I... I've, Ever since Inception came out, I kind of just go into Christopher Nolan movies knowing that I'm probably going to be the only one who likes it. Because <laughs> for whatever <laughs> reason, like, critics, like, like to lambast him. I, and I don't um, know why. <laughs> I don't I don't know if that's true. Maybe it's I just the that... critics that I watch and then I just get real mad at him for not loving it as much as I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think that I think that the critical consensus is generally pretty positive around Christopher Nolan. But I think that. Um, you know, some of his, some of his ticks kind of annoy certain critics. That might be what it and, is. And um, yeah. I do, I do have, I do have some criticisms of his work, as we will discuss. Man, I can't wait to probably at some point. Um, you know, I, I am not universally super positive on his films, but um, this movie, Dunkirk, is maybe his best reviewed movie since Memento. I think. So, I think. Yeah. Um. Because, so. like I said, I, it seems overwhelmingly positive. And the only negatives I have heard are from, like, smaller... Not smaller, not small. They're still relatively big. Um, but, like, uh, smaller YouTube channels and then, like, a local uh, uh, talk morning talk radio show that I listen to. Um, and it's all been, like, the same complaint from people who have yet to see the movie. Uh, is that they uh, they complained that they, they expressed that they had no interest in actually seeing it because it just looked like a bunch of white dudes worrying I'm like, that's, not a, that's not a real good complaint to have against the movie but okay <laughs> like, uh that's um all right yeah I, I would i would say that that's probably a pretty shallow take yeah, like especially from like, like come on man it's a previous by the way that, that's like the most negative thing um, yeah that and that's seen. that's that's an extreme minority i don't i don't think really that many people at least not serious people or i would or, hope not anyway um because like, and, saying things like and, that yeah like speaking to like the less serious people uh you know who take films critically um like because i also had read an article where they felt like there was a lack of character um like we said people don't sit around and talk um mm -hmm. a bunch and like like we were saying before the one time that they have kind of a more movie subplot character it's it sticks out in a not positive way um, with the, right. uh, with the kid on the boat, um, so like yeah, those are, that's the only mm -hmm. little bit of negative I, I saw, and then obviously you know the normal like uh, not I maybe I'll edit this out if you're uncomfortable with this, but the normal kind of rabble that comes up with these types of films like it's not diverse enough. <laughs> well, okay, I mean <laughs> it's British yeah, and French I don't, people in World War Two. Um, well, I did see the I believe it was USA Today. Um, that critic, uh, in his review mentioned, um, rather embarrassingly that, uh, there were no depictions of female soldiers, um, unaware apparently of the fact that, uh, women, uh, did not serve in the British Naval forces. Yeah. Um, so I think he, uh, he kinda, oh. kinda looked a little silly with that, but, um, yeah, again, like these are British and French people. I, I don't. I don't really know what to say about that. Uh, I, I think that those takes are pretty few and far between. But I think that they they tend to get a lot a lot of attention as these things go. I think that's the intention um, behind the headlines. It's rather clickbaity. 
Everyone loves uh, this movie. I'm going to say hell got it wrong kind of a thing. Uh, yeah, yeah, I agree. But, um, yeah, yeah, I guess, I guess that does exist. But the overwhelming, um, reaction to this movie has been, has been very positive. Yeah. Uh, it, it does seem like. Which is great. Um, and yeah, yeah, as far as, and I can understand the, uh, the criticisms of this movie is really not having well-developed characters, but like, as we talked about earlier, I feel like, um, this movie, uh, in lieu of that has a real universality, mm-hmm. you know, um, everybody, every soldier is, is part of a, a big unit that is, um, you know, they're all sort of equally terrified and you're just sort of moving from, from the perspective of soldier to soldier interchangeably, you know, like, a like a Grand Theft Auto Five or something like that. You're just kind of yeah. You're just kind of moving around there. I, mean, I think um, that, I think that that wouldn't work if the film was so earnest in its depiction. Yeah, um, yeah. Because it, like in the same way that it's not shoving the violence in your face, it is not also pulling any punches. Mm-hmm. Um, it is very much so. This is the situation. This is how it took place as best as we can, you know, put together from accounts of the event. And so, like, I think like if it were a bit more. Um, I don't know. It is thrilling to watch, and it, it, there are parts of the of the dogfights and stuff that are that can be entertaining, but it's not a it's not an overall very fun movie. Like you're not <laughs> going out to have a good time to watch this. Um, no. So I think that, no. Like like I said, it's very it's a harrowing experience, mm-hmm. no doubt about it. So yeah, but yes, I mean, like, and I know we love the movie. Like I said, I think, uh, yeah, I think I, I don't know. Like interstellar was, was, I think still more of a transcendent experience to see in the theater. Like that movie really, like, I don't know your feelings on the film, but, um, despite my misgivings of, of Matthew McConaughey, uh, that film did things that I just, it made me feel ways that I haven't felt since watching it. Um, which might be over inflating what that, what that movie does. But, um, so, Hmm. Uh, and uh, we we will get to our thoughts on that uh, in a future podcast. Yes, we will. Uh, but so I would put this like just under uh, Interstellar, but like what it does, like what it what it did person, what Dunkirk did personally for me for um, shedding light on this event in a way that it just it wouldn't have otherwise. Like I, I would have still just gone my whole life not knowing about this story uh, and the detail that I have now. Um, it is really, really important, and I'm I'm hoping, and I think that this movie is going to be some is out of his filmography. I think this one will be the one that uh, stands the test of time more so than the others, um, simply because of the universality, like you said, of the story and of the event, um, and its its lack of reliance on special effects. I think that this is going to be very much a timeless picture. Yep, absolutely agreed. So yeah. Um... Holy cow! It's been an hour. We've been talking about Dunkirk this whole time. Whew. That that man that went by really quick. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> yes, it did, man. The uh, the comprehensive Christopher Nolan pod is uh, oh boy, that's gonna be a doozy. It's gonna be intense. Oh man, be here all day. <laughs> so stick around for that one. Uh, I don't know. That's yeah. gonna be a while before that one might come out for scheduling and whatnot. <laughs> I was telling. Uh, I am in the middle of moving, so like just recording this has been. Fun mm-hmm. trying to schedule that out. Nah, I, th- I think that your priority should be watching Christopher Nolan. I, you and not know what? I personally, agree. but um, I agree. I, I think you uh, need to get your priority straight, Stephen. Yeah, my, that's my bad. 
I'm gonna yeah. go get my DVD collection out and, and crack this bad boy open. We'll do it tomorrow. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah. Um, where uh, where can people uh, find you on the interwebs, Nick? Uh, I'm pretty much only on Twitter. You can find me at Strenuous Orb, um, where I will be tweeting a lot of nonsense about movies and music and games. Uh, those are mostly the things that I tweet about. Um, so yeah, Strenuous Orb on Twitter. Yep, a pro follow uh, IMO. Um, he you have you have like the the uh, style of uh, of dry uh, humor and and cynicism that I like to see in, in tweets without being overly you know mean and negative. Uh, so, oh, so you think I'm an asshole? I get it. Yeah, but a fun one, a fun a fun one. Too. Oh, okay. I, I think okay. I am too. So it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, th- thank you for high high praise <laughs> from one from one asshole to another. Exactly. Here. That's that's how we deal here. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, and if uh, if you'd like to hear more from me, which I, I guess you would if you listen to all of this podcast, I'm not really sure if you got to the end of it, you're like, God, I hate this guy. Um, I am at Steps Vayu on Twitter. That's S-T-E-P-S-V-A-Y-O-O. Um, and both of those will be linked in the description. Um, so, yeah. Uh, thanks again, Nick, for uh, coming on and uh, chatting about the movie. Super fun. Yeah, thanks so much, man. It was uh, It was a blast. And uh, hopefully we'll, uh, it won't be too long before we can uh, get back together and, and talk more Nolan. Yes, indeed. Cool. All right. Um, and so until next time, remember to uh, speak into the void. Yeah.